1: I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, we are trading the vote. Funstrat's Tom Lee has the three big market scenarios that could play out based off tomorrow's results. Plus, Morgan Stanley is rolling the dice on Biden. Why, they say this casino operator could hit the jackpot if he wins the White House. And later, Dan is winding up for a fast pitch. He says if you play this social media stock just right, it could be a total home run. We start off with a pre-election pop. Stocks rallying on the eve of tomorrow's vote. The Dow notching its big, biggest gain in almost a month. Every sector finishing the day in the green. Today's rally coming after the market handed in its worst week since March. So what does today's market action tell us about tomorrow's big vote? Guy Adami, what do you say?
2: Hi, Mel. You like my I got an election haircut. I really see. took it down. Really I'm tight. sure you can see nice. that in your monitor. Yeah, high and tight, high and tight. It's interesting. What does it tell you today? I think a lot of people squaring up ahead of the election. The VIX suggests there is still a lot of concern. The VIX at one point today was positive. I think it traded up to 39, closed 37 and a half. That's still obviously elevated. I'll say this. I said it last week. You You saw a huge move in the VIX from 24 to 40. It absolutely mirrors the move we saw from June 8th to June 11th, when the VIX went from 24 to 40, and the S&P 500 went from 3,250 to 3,000 in a straight line. So the moves are pretty much identical in terms of percentage. I think if there's a concession speech tomorrow night or into the wee hours of Wednesday morning, this VIX at 38 has probably a 28 handle. And if there's no concession speech, I think this 38 VIX remains at 38. That's the rub. A lot of people think it accelerates from here. I think it stays here. So that's the way I'm looking at the world right now. And
1: let's be clear, concession speech by either candidate, you're saying basically a resolution either. to the no, I, I either No, I think I way. said by either. Yeah. No, no, no.
2: By either. Yes. Let yeah. so me clarify that. And I thought I said it. I'll say it again. By either candidate, a concession speech takes this VIX from 38 to the low 30s, if not the high 20s.
1: In terms of what we saw within the markets in terms of sector action today, we saw a definite tilt towards value, towards cyclical. We saw financials and industrials outperform, small and mid over large cap, technology underperforming, Karen. Does that uh, provide any tea leaves as to what we can expect tomorrow?
3: If it did, I can't read those tea leaves. I'm actually pretty surprised with how the market did today. I thought that some of the uh, news out of Europe about uh, lockdowns would have an effect here. And the idea, I know that there is no appetite for lockdowns in the United States, but that doesn't mean that people won't change their behavior, even if it's not mandated. So I was a little surprised that the market was up and up as much as it was. I mean, it was just uh, some stocks were sort of ridiculous. The bang names obviously didn't do well. And then you had the value names. You had, you know, URI was up $14 for no reason. No reason at all they had earnings last week. If it's because of, you know, an infrastructure bill under either Biden or Trump, that was probably true on Friday. So I don't really get it. I don't I, I didn't change anything in my portfolio today because I don't know what to make of it. If you told me what exactly was going to happen tomorrow night, I still wouldn't know what to make of it. Exactly.
1: Dan, what's your theory?
4: Yeah, so these guys mentioned a little bit um, about the underperformance of the uh, MAGA complex here today. And I think it's pretty interesting because I think it touches on a lot of themes that are going on as it relates to the election. And obviously, one of them would be no matter what happens, you're going to have regulatory headwinds. You're also going to have the potential if you had a, a Biden win and a Senate flip of higher taxes, higher capital gains taxes so these are obviously big winners um, on the year this might be a reason to take some profits and then the other one would just be valuation I think that um, if we were to see a more cyclical bent because of fiscal stimulus and infrastructure spending and and just a reflation trade on the other side of the virus then you're going to want to move into some of the underperformers, and so that's what we kind of saw today so that's what I think a lot of the positioning has been now obviously that could create a whole heck of a lot of volatility if we do not have a decisive victory one way or another. And then we are really in just a, a, a political quagmire for weeks or months about a contested election. And under that scenario, no stocks do well, in my opinion.
5: Tim? Uh, which of the 19 questions am I supposed to answer, Mel? Uh, just kidding. Uh, let me, let me, scenario analysis, I, I think if you have the, a, a Biden win and a GOP Senate, I think big tech uh, will continue to rally. I, I actually think that type of a stalemate. I, I, I think the discussion about infrastructure and, and resource stocks, um, I think they're bid either way. And I, I think certainly that is the sense that we've had from uh, the price action. I, you know, there's, there's a number of different things that can happen. Uh, but, but the bottom line here is if you, if you think that we get a massive change in Washington and you get a, a blue wave of sorts, I think the market in the short term has a period of elation because of the things that have been discussed and uh, fears of unrest. Um, more conciliatory policy globally. But let's not mistake uh, what that would mean for higher taxes, higher regulation, uh, and the trade-off against a a one-off stimulus bill, which may be massive, um, you know, the multiplier effect of that is nothing like those other two things. So um, I think in the short run, we are certainly trying to handicap the next 24 hours, 48 hours, but uh, I I think as we look at the road, your scenario analysis needs to be very, very different, and you have to get back to some of the fundamentals here. Um, But in the short run, look, uh, I think big cap tech has ways to uh, to pull back a bit more, but that ultimately that will be the place people run for cover. Uh, And I think we're only three or four percent away from a a pretty significant base uh, around 250 on the triple Q's.
1: Would you agree with that, Guy? I mean, if there is a blue wave and let's be clear, we're not rooting for for any sort of outcome. We're just simply trading the outcome that a lot of Wall Street right now is is betting on the conventional wisdom right now is blue wave and so let's let's go down that path if there is a blue wave short-term pop in the markets because of of the certainty because maybe biden could be perceived as being uh harder and, and tougher in terms of pandemic measures um but in the longer term a lot of a lot more uncertainty regarding tighter regulations particularly on financials perhaps as well as higher taxes
2: the only thing I'm rooting for, Mel, is for a representative uh, showing by my football giants this evening against the uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, number one. I just Don't want to put that breath. out there. So that's, that's where my rooting interest is. And I do agree with Tim in terms of the way this thing sets up without question. You know, I do think, although people will obviously talk about higher taxes, I think it will be offset by the fact that maybe we'll have a stronger enforcement of, of, measures that that might make the virus, um, might keep us safer, longer. You know, now I'm sort of uh, stumbling over my words because I'm trying not to be political here. But I do think it probably sets up okay for the market. Not all of the market, though. I think banks could come under pressure if there is a blue wave, obviously. And I think these infrastructure names, which we have talked about, will continue to do well. And I think to Tim's point, technology will do well. Quickly, I'll say this, and we mentioned it last week. I thought that earnings release... By Google, far and away was the best of the five of the F-mega complex Mm -hmm. that Dan talks about. And I can make an argument that Google's actually cheaper on a valuation basis now than it was 10% to the downside ago.
1: Yeah, Karen, I'm guessing that you see that as well.
3: For Google, you mean? For Alphabet? Yes. Yeah, I think it's a better buy today, uh, even up uh, you know post-earnings, than it was before. I mean, that quarter was really... Extraordinary. And I think you know, some of it was ad spending, I assume. So we won't see that as much. But uh, I mean, YouTube and I, on every metric, every metric, it was good. And so also, I think that we'll continue to see more clarity, which has always helped us. Every time Google gives us more information about other bets or about YouTube, and it'll be about cloud, uh, it trades better. So very happy owning it here. Yeah. Dan?
4: Yeah. So I think that just when we're talking about this F Maga complex, Mm -hmm. again, we got to go back to also Netflix. We got to go back to Spotify's report. We got to go back to Twitter and think about some of the things that have happened over the last nine or 10 months or so. There was a massive pull forward. And we've seen that in a lot of of, of demand, that is, right? And so we've seen that in a lot of these names. And all of a sudden now, valuation is kind of becoming a little bit of a thing. and, And interest rates have kind of ticked up a little bit. And we're kind of getting back to some of those more classic, market themes election or not and i think it's really important to keep uh, an eye on that and then the last point is that you know about this election we could if we had a blue wave we might not get further stimulus until february or maybe even a bit longer so you know i know that people were really excited about that ism number that's backward looking what i'm looking at is this huge the, you know, like chasm, if you will, of American citizens who are literally really having a very tough time. And so I think the outlook going forward for a lot of these names that were relying on consumers spending when they had these expanded unemployment benefits and stuff um, is not there right now. So I think the next few months is probably going to be a lot harder than what today's market action is telling us about any optimism um, about the economy.
1: And maybe that's why a pop after a blue wave could be very short lived, Tim. I mean, it it is true that if we don't get stimulus until next year, that could not only cause damage to the economy now, but it could, it could cause lasting scars in the economy. You have more people out of work for longer um, who will need new skills when they come out of it. They're, they might uh, have jobs that don't exist anymore later on, the longer this goes on. So we're looking at real consequences here to, to waiting for that stimulus, even though the markets may say it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. It may not be coming soon enough.
5: Yeah. Although um, I I do think the the nature of the virus and and the way that at least you should. And I know we stalled on 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 stimulus uh, with the last month and a half. But but the reality is that if the virus gets worse, they're going to have to step forward. I don't care who's in power. And and otherwise, we've got major, major problems. But yes, the small business in this country is is on their knees in many sub industries, especially uh, hospitality and entertainment restaurants. You know, I, I don't know why I've got my own views on this, I actually run a small business, but I I think that there's a lot that will need to be done. I I just think the the expectation that the market is going to be in a better place, even if you know um, everything on the other side, if that other side uh, again, I, yes, we have to stumble with our words to not sound political. I'm, I'm just making a market observation, I believe, in terms of an outcome that would be all blue, mm-hmm. uh, would be a relief at first. And then I think we'd have a lot of problems for the market. Um, I think that we've been talking about valuation for months. But if you are in that environment, what has been defensive? And it has been mega cap tech. And back to that Google conversation. It's interesting, though, because Google effectively finished flat today. Uh, and yes, it, it had a pop Uh, on Friday after the best of the four. But but it's it's concerning how that group is trading. And that may tell you in the short run where they think the market's going to see elections.
1: Right. We've got a market flash here on Twitter. Julia Borson's got the story. Julia.
6: Melissa, we're getting some of the results of Twitter's work with Elliott Management, with activist shareholder Elliott Management. Twitter announcing that it's going to be commencing its stock buyback, um, it'll begin its authorized share repurchase program, also um, up, give some updates on succession planning. So this is basically, this this statement here from Twitter, is the result of the Management Structure Committee that was formed in response to that pressure from Elliott Management. So the Management Structure Committee report, reported to Twitter's board that it had concluded its work, work and gave these recommendations, which Twitter's board accepted accepted, including um, amending Twitter's board structure um, to no longer have Um, to no longer have uh, a a staggered board, also um, assessing the current management structure and working to update the CEO succession plan in line with best practices, also evaluating company and management performance according to a range of factors. So and of course, then there's that share repurchase program. So I think what's so important here, Melissa, is that this shows that Elliot and Twitter together Mm -hmm. have now are making changes based on those recommendations and uh, everything's everything is starting to come into place here and of course we are very curious to hear what that CEO succession planning is.
1: Yeah, Julia, thank you. As we watch Twitter shares climb in the after hour session now, close the session high is up 2 and a quarter percent. I think what Julia had outlined in terms of the share buyback, that's interesting, but also no longer having a staggered board, which means that the entire board can be voted out more easily to affect change potentially at the company, that's also very interesting. Um, Dan, is this going to sort of um, you know, answer the question about growth at Twitter after that last earnings report?
4: Yeah, I don't think it does much to answer the question about user growth. Um, you know, they were very disappointing. But again, there was a huge pull forward. They had a massive um, addition to uh, the monetized uh, daily active users in Q2 here. So big disappointment in Q3. But their ad revenues did start to come back, and they spoke to that um, a little bit, how it ended the September quarter and how October was looking. So you put this news on top of it, and the stock down 25% in just three trading days, and you say to yourself... Okay, this might be a pretty good entry point, especially when you're comparing it to some of its peers like Pinterest and Snapchat, which just blew the doors off with user growth. Um, And, you know, next year they're all going to have similar sort of revenue growth.
1: Karen, what's your quick take on what Elliott has managed to extract from uh, Twitter?
3: Uh, well, the buyback is good. And as you said, as you pointed out on the staggered board, removing that creates uh, an easier pathway for someone to come take control. I also think—remember, Jack Dorsey at one time was thinking of living half the time in Africa. So that didn't really fly with Elliot. But now the succession planning is important. As young as Jack is, and I believe he's very engaged, but still you need a succession plan. So. Positive. What I don't know is if uh, Elliot gave up anything like they wouldn't put a slate on or any candidates. Mm. Um, I'm not sure about that. But it, it's a small positive. Not as important, though, as the earnings were the other day. Yep. All right. Twitter shares
1: up uh, almost two percent right now. As we come down to the election, our next guest is laying out the three big market scenarios that could play out based off tomorrow's results. Let's trade the votes with Tom Lee, head of research at Fundstrat Global Advisors. Tom, uh, great to have you with us. Let's uh, start off with the base case scenario, which is a blue wave.
7: That's right. And uh, heading into Election Day, you know, we're making the assumption that investors are not a buyer strike. So it's been an emotional two weeks retail investor cash has actually risen so we know people are just waiting for some certainty and the base case in our view is is a blue wave it's reflected from the polls and from the betting markets and while i've heard what you guys have talked about i think that this results in a 10 percent rally in equities so s p roughly 3600 because you're going to get a pretty big lift in cyclicals based on fiscal stimulus the fed staying easy and just a relief rally i think that's offset somewhat by tech Potentially trailing because of the, the risk of both increased regulation and higher taxes.
1: OK, so that's the base case. The other scenario would basically be status quo, correct?
7: Uh, yes. Yeah. So I think that the surprise case uh, would be that Trump is reelected and the Senate remains Republican. And, and the reason it's a surprise is, of course, because the polling markets aren't reflecting this and the betting markets are showing Trump as an underdog. But the reason I I think that this is actually a positive surprise, I think the stock market might rally 15 to 17 percent, so something like S&P 3,700. And the reason for that is we've got the possibility of less regulatory risk, like less regulation creep. We're going to have less risk of lockdowns because of the current administration's approach. And we have the possibility of a tax cut. So I think you're going to get a big cyclical rally, plus tech keeps running, and that extra tech... Juice is how you get to 3,700 on the S&P. Okay.
1: And the third scenario is um, some form of contested election?
7: Yes. And so a contested election, and I've heard you guys say that uh, it's uncertainty, and I agree it's uncertainty, but it's, a, it's actually less uncertainty. So incrementally, it's certain because now we're through the election night and the reason i think you still get a five to seven percent rally which is s p 3500 is number one i think washington goes back to two things you know focus on what's who's controlling the senate but we're also likely to get fiscal stimulus passed before year end and the fed is likely going to make some intervention or announce some intervention or prepare to announce intervention if the markets are unstable so i think the market still gets a lift and 3500 is just taking us to sort of that two weeks before election day
1: So basically, all the scenarios that you outlined, Tom, the markets will be higher. Is that right? That doesn't sound right to me. (laughs) It's a win, 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 no matter what.
7: (laughs) Yes, and the reason I'm pointing that out is we've gone through an excruciating two weeks where the markets lost nearly 10% because nobody rationally was buying equities, but we've had a lot of selling and repositioning. So part of our presumption is We've had a huge imbalance. We've had sellers for two weeks. We're down 8%. Cash is raising on the sidelines. As Guy pointed out, the VIX has gone to levels of, you know, very high levels of anxiety. And a drop in the VIX plus moving cash off the sidelines is still going to get us to rally.
2: So I'm glad you mentioned that because that's sort of my question. I, I guess, in my opinion, a concession speech either way takes the VIX from today's close of 39. Down to the low thirties, if not the high twenties. But does does a cont- have we already priced in with a thirty nine VIX, a contested election? Is that sort of your point? The entire negative scenario is somewhat priced in vis a vis the VIX. Uh,
7: I believe so. I mean, I'm going to make an assumption here, but the our active ex institutional equity investors have done a lot of hedging, either in the derivatives markets or the futures. So they they have not bet on uh, this two weeks being smooth. You know, they've bet on a lot of turbulence. So that is going to be repositioning post-election. Uh, and then on the retail investor side, I think that's why the cash balances have actually been creeping up for the last three or four weeks. So investors are essentially on the sidelines because they are better prepared for a contested election. So a concession, you know, a clear outcome would be a massive bullish signal.
1: Tom, great to speak with you. Thanks. Thanks. Tom Lee of Fundstrat. And uh, by the way, CNBC will have full team coverage of tomorrow night's election starting at 7 p.m. Eastern and going throughout the entire night all the way through Squawk Box. So you won't want to miss that. Um, Let's let's trade this. Tim, I I noticed that you were sort of smirking when Tom outlined the uh, three winning scenarios. Because every scenario is a winning scenario for the S&P, apparently.
5: Well, never smirking at Tom. Um, Tom, Tom has certainly taken a glass half full approach to three scenarios that, that, that you know, I, I think the, the market has a lot of anxiety, yes, uh, but the market has reason for a lot of anxiety and a lot of dysfunction and, and, and valuations that aren't terribly cheap in an economy that, yeah, I know we had a 32 percent GDP number and, and there's a reason why. Uh, so, you know, this week we also have a payroll number, we have, we have the Fed, uh, and I think we have other things that the market can focus on, which get us back to some fundamentals. I, I think the, 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 the parts of the rally today, so our market conversation, uh, a rebound in housing, I think, is important, uh, and, and, and housing-related trades, because I think that is something that continues into the second part. And notice oil. Oil has priced in the fact that basically uh, a blue wave. And and yet today uh, it acted very different. I think there's good news uh, in oil, especially on the expectation that the surprise might be something that is not priced into oil.
1: All right. Coming up, a jackpot of a trade. One big bank says roll the dice on this casino operator. If Biden wins, the White House will bring you that name. But first, we're all over the after hours action and shares of PayPal. The company just posting results. The call is now underway. We'll break down the numbers when Fast Money returns.
3: Welcome
1: back to Fast Money. Checkout shares of PayPal sinking after its latest earnings report. Our Kate Rooney joins us now with the numbers. Kate.
0: Hey, Melissa. Expectations were pretty high heading into the third quarter for PayPal, despite a 6% drop in the stock after hours. PayPal did see what the CEO just told me was a record third quarter. Uh, The payments company beating on the top and bottom line. They also raised some of their full year guidance. PayPal saw its highest revenue growth ever. That was 25% Year-over-year, that came in at a total $5.4 billion. That was better than expected. Non-GAAP EPS, also a beat by 13 cents. Total payments volume was also its highest ever. That came in at $247 billion, which was better than analysts were expecting. Of that total, $44 billion came from Venmo. That was up about 60% year-over-year. We just got a couple Venmo highlights from the call just now, which is still underway. Uh, Venmo now has 65 million users. That's a jump from 60 million users, which was the last number that uh, PayPal had reported. They expect Venmo revenue to approach $900 million next year and to make a positive contribution to their transaction margin dollars. Analysts really have been waiting for Venmo to start adding to PayPal's bottom line, so that's certainly a highlight from the call so far. PayPal also raised its full year earnings guidance and uh, payments volume guidance with double digit growth there. And despite some double-digit EPS guidance for Q4. That was still lower than expected, and analysts are saying that that could be part of the reason the stock is getting a hit here. After hours, I asked CEO Dan Schulman about the miss. He said they're spending about $300 million on some of these digital products, and some of that spending could add uh, to the earnings miss in the fourth quarter. Schulman also tells me that he is cautiously optimistic. Heading into next year, he mentioned some of the macro uncertainty. Things like the virus, the vaccine going into next year. But all of this digital acceleration in the economy and the rise of e-commerce, of course, is helping PayPal. Back to you guys.
1: All right. Thanks so much, Kate Rooney, with those numbers. Again, fourth quarter guidance uh, coming in below what uh, consensus estimates were. Guy, how do you trade PayPal here?
2: So right now, I know Dan Nathan has his chart up and he's looking at the major double top at 215 from the early September high. And then again on October 21st, number one. 175 is where we subsequently traded down to between September and October. It needs to hold there. The quarter was remarkable. If you look at it, transactions were up 30% year over year, 7% quarter over quarter. Margins were better. Stock ran into valuation and a technical breakdown. I'll say this, though, and this is not directed at Kate because she did a great job. Cautiously optimistic should be uh, removed from the lexicon of every CEO in the United States. It's one of the dumbest things that anybody can say, in my opinion. Well, why is this so
1: dumb? Cautiously optimistic. You're optimistic, oh, on, but no. we're in a pandemic. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm,
2: yeah. I'm cautiously optimistic. How many times have you heard that and have rolled your eyes? I know it's countless. Because I'm just do the saying the same it's thing. an
1: overused term, but it actually has meaning. I think in this context of of, of where the economy is yeah. now. I mean, Tim is. Sh- I don't know where yeah well
5: Dan is saying, no, it doesn't, well, Tim looks I, like I, he agrees I, with me <laughs> I, well, I think guys had too much coffee today. I mean, come on, dude, back down i mean i I, I think it's not an oxymoronic term, which is what it sounded like your criticism was. Um, it is frustrating when when CEOs don't get out there and say, yes, we're actually concerned about the quarter or uh, the environment is such that we we uh we we're, we're bombastic about it, but they're not going to do that. So, uh, look, with PayPal, the story is that this is one of the, the, the darling stocks that was a beneficiary, not only of, of, of COVID and e-commerce and frictionless payments, but also just the PPP loans. Um, 85 times trailing. This is a stock that, that needs to pull back. Uh, and it doesn't matter what they reported for the fourth quarter. It was weaker, but this was uh, the stock was one of the euphoric names out there.
1: All right. We got much more ahead here on Fast Money. Here's what is coming up next.
8: Red or blue,
2: whoever wins the election, one thing is for sure. There's regulation coming for big tech. So what's that mean for the venture capital space? We'll get some answers. Plus, just how much volatility could a contested election bring to the market? What options traders are betting on when Fast Money returns?
4: What's on the horizon for financial markets?
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. We're just one day away from the election. Tomorrow's outcome could have a big impact on venture capital. Joining us now is a man with a lot of experience in the VC world. He was an early investor in Lululemon. His current portfolio includes names like Rent the Runway, Harry's, and Up. Let's bring in Bob Davis, partner at Highland Capital. Bob, welcome to you. Great to have you with us.
8: Great to see you. How are you?
1: Good. Good. Thanks. Got to ask you about the election. Does a change in administration at all impact the environment for the kinds of investments that you make?
8: I don't know if it changes the investments we make, but I mean, I, I think the bigger risk is a whole period of uncertainty in, into the markets, and that's the part that would frighten me a little bit. I don't know how it all plays out. If we have a clear winner uh, coming out of tomorrow or next week or the week after, I think we're good. If we're fighting this over two or three months as to who the winner is and who our president is, I think that's tough for the market out there. So I, I hope we're not going to see anything like that. I mean, I have a uh, I have a good friend, a good golf buddy that uh, Mike that in the course i call my sensei because he guides me so clearly in all that we do and he says don't focus on the the single shot focus on the game at large and i think that's what we have to think about when this has all been done is is how does it how does the big picture look not how does a individual day look
1: and i want to ask you about the game at large Uh, the game at large at least for right now is being shaped by a pandemic and i'm wondering if that impacts the kinds of investments that you're making these days and how you examine investments now in companies and how they're built for future years?
8: You know, it's interesting. When we look at a company, our, our, our criteria are pretty simple. It always has been, always will be. We think about people, market, product in that order. And then if we get that figured out, we'll talk about the deal. But people, market, product. And really great people build great companies. And that's been the case. And it will stay that way. And we, we feel great about that. What, what's taken a lot of getting used to is trying to do a deal virtually. I mean, when the pandemic first hit and we all got into lockdown, we sat around a partner meeting and said, well, of course, we can't make investments without meeting the team. You know, How do we invest millions of dollars into someone we've never met? And lo and behold, we've adapted and we've made some you know, great deals. But it's changed things a lot in terms of our, our criteria. But at the same time, you know, there's some, some industries that have been hurt by the pandemic. We all know what those are. But there's a lot on the consumer front that have had some really powerful tailwinds that have helped them freshly that we announced uh, last mm-hmm. week uh, on CNBC. The acquisition of that by Nestle is a good example of that. really strong company that was growing in great deeps and bounds. but did the, did the pandemic help but? it sure did. It brought more customers together.
1: Sure. And the pandemic is also helping a name like Lulu, who you invested early in, Bob. And I'm wondering, in terms of how you look at those tailwinds, do you view them as short-lived or do you think that this marks a real change? I mean, how many pairs of yoga pants are you going to, to own if you're actually going back to work and have to wear proper pants?
8: Yeah, well, that's a great question. Well, we're not public market investors, so I'm not nearly as smart as those guys and your guys and gals on your panel to talk about public stocks and how they play out. <laughs> this is the way I'll think about it in our portfolio. We see fundamental change in behavior taking place that I think will be long-lasting. Do the tailwinds survive at the level they are today? Who knows? But I think we'll see fundamental changes. We have a, a small company up in Boston, Love Pop, that makes uh, physical greeting cards beautiful sculptures and paper bouquets instead of flowers that can barely keep up with the business in terms of what people are doing. Because guess what? No one's going into CVS or Walmart or anywhere else to buy a greeting card. You're going online and saying, ship it for me. And things like this take a small company and lets it sell tens of millions of dollars in cards. I mean, that's a fundamental change. Who would have believed that uh, two or three years ago? But uh, So I, I think that many of these businesses will see a constant and long-lasting change in consumer behavior that will never step back. Uh, Will it be the level it is today? Probably not, but there'll be complete changes in consumer behavior.
1: Bob, thanks so much for your time. We hope you'll come back soon.
8: Love to do it. Anytime.
1: Bob Davis, Highland Capital. Um, Karen Feinerman, he's somewhat of a legend here in in the VC world. He also was associated with an Internet bubble named Lycos, which is an early search engine. So he's really seen it all. In in terms of the tailwinds, do you think some tailwinds will actually be long lasting, as Bob had, had said?
3: I think some will. I think that work from home, we're going to have more people working from home a greater percentage of the time than they did before, even if we have a complete vaccine that's 100% effective. I just think that's too, that change is too hard to undo. But I think some, selling something like Freshly, that was a good sale, would be my bet. That uh, Do you think it that marks the top? Peak, <laughs> maybe. Good for them. <laughs>
1: Dan, quick thoughts here?
4: <laughs> you know, I just got to look at Karen. And I got to tell you, your new haircut is fire. And I'm going to take Karen's haircut over Guy's haircut. That's what I'm going to add right here.
3: <laughs> I got a lighting. I got a. I got a set issue here. Yeah. I got all kinds of she things here. You to pull on. the blinds yes. down. Right,
1: this I'll just make- time I know. And
3: change the <laughs> lights or
1: whatever. <laughs>
4: Here's the one quick point I would say, is the acceleration in anything e-commerce. Commerce, commerce, Obviously, you're going to see deceleration after the pandemic, but that pull forward and that demand, that's going to be here to stay. And I think that's the takeaway um, I would have about just some of this behavior that's, that's changed in the last nine months. All right.
1: Coming up, tonight's big number. We will tell you how many ad dollars were spent on this election, who already came out the big winner. But first, Dan is getting ready to throw a change up. He's got a fast pitch with an options twist on one social media stock, the name, when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Unless you are living under a rock, you've likely been bombarded with political ads this presidential election cycle. So just how much money was spent and who are the big winners here? Julia Borson joins us with that. Julia
6: Well, Melissa, this was a record political ad spending this cycle. $8.3 billion has been spent. Now, if you look just at spending on traditional media, political ad spending is up more than two and a half times from the 2016 cycle to $6.7 billion. Now, of those traditional ad dollars, the biggest beneficiary is broadcast TV, bringing in $4.5 billion in spending, up from $2.4 billion Four years ago. Sorry, two billion four years ago. Now, the biggest winners of that rush of political ad spending are the companies that own the local TV networks. Up the most from its March lows is NextStar, It's up 92%, while Sinclair is up 80%, EW Scripts up 73% from its low at the beginning of April, Gray Television up 53%, and Tegna up 28 percent. Now, it is worth noting that despite those bounces from the spring, all five of those companies are down this year and all the stocks are having their worst year since 2008, weighed down by risks that after the election include cord cutting, as well as dollars continue to shift from TV spending to digital. Now, while broadcast TV still dominates political ad spending, it is losing share from 75% four years ago to 60% market share this year as digital platforms to continue to make gains. Now, the big winners from political ads growth on digital are Google and Facebook, as well as the streamers such as Disney's Hulu and Peacock, which is, of course, owned by Comcast, CNBC's parent company. But remember, the election is not giving a boost to Twitter. It's not accepting political ads. Guys, back over to you.
1: All right, Julia. Thank you. Uh, Karen, what's your take since you own both Alphabet and Facebook?
3: Yeah, I'm trying to think about moderating how good the quarter was because that the spend was so big, but um, also I think about for Disney, probably a little bump for them with their with their um, network, but um, I, I think it's going to be short-lived, so we can't, so if I were owned one of those Sinclairs, I would sell into this strength for sure. All right.
1: Well, speaking of Twitter, it's a name that, that is on Dan Nathan's radar. He's stepping up to the mound with a fast pitch, so Dan, take it away.
4: Yeah, so Thursday afternoon when we were dissecting their Q3 results, I think all the whole panel, we were very disappointed that monthly active user um, or the daily active user number was, was not great. Um, there were some bright spots as far as their um, ad business, and they did have some cautiously optimistic uh, commentary about how things are picking up a little bit into Q4. Um, at the time, the stock was at 43. I said, wait until about 40. So today at about 39, what did the stock do? It hit the uptrend from its March low. That was some good technical support. I think that this stock um, got thrown out baby with the bath water i do not see why this thing should have an enterprise value of 30 billion while snap has an enterprise value of 60 billion so i think this is a scarce um, social property here i think they're going to focus more on new products and services they're going to update that february 25th at their analyst meeting if you want to be contrarian here this is how i play it let's do a little oa here i go to the options market here you just had that bounce off of that technical support here i'd look out to january expiration today when the stock was trading at thirty nine you could buy the january forty fifty call spread paying out. $2.50 for that. That is your max risk, six and a half percent of the stock price. It breaks even at 42 and a and you can have gains of up to seven and a half dollars between 42 and a and fifty, and that's how you play back for the gap fill. Under $40, you lose that two and a half bucks. But the way I'm thinking about this is you could buy the stock here, and your risk is probably to the mid-30s if things really just crop out over the next few weeks, or there's something more stock-specific about this story. But if you get this stock moving Moving back, we got some good news in the after hours. We just talked about it. Moving back above 40, then you got the stock in that range on the move back up to 50 for that gap fill. I like the risk reward here, risking $2.5 to possibly make up $7.5 between now and mid January. That's a long time for this thing to play out. So I like the, the way of being contrarian here with defined risk and being optimistic about it.
1: Tim has a question for Dan. Tim?
5: Dan, uh, I, I appreciate the call. And I, I, I think it's impressive you're going for you're going to try to dial nine twice on Twitter uh, with a fast pitch here. And you've, you've done You've done great by it. I think the market got overly worked up over the DAUs when, in fact, that ad revenue up 15 percent year over year was incredibly strong. Their margins were strong and the profitability. I mean, what should we be looking at with this company is my question, because it seems like people can't yeah. can't pick what's the most important metric.
4: So, great question, Tim. Um, You know, I I think there's a lot of things going on over at Facebook. We heard a lot about social commerce. People are pretty excited about that. There's so many things that this company can do and innovate. They have this massive balance sheet. They have $7 billion in cash. I think they're going to look to kind of go outside their lane a little bit. And I think those are the sorts of things that we're going to hear about as we work towards that analyst meeting. In February, there was a report um, by somebody over the last couple of days. They made by Substack for longer form sort of stuff, new products, new Services, more engagement.
1: All right. No more questions. It's time to vote. Are you buying Dan's pitch on Twitter? We'll start off with the one crossover member of Fast Money Options Action, Guy Adami. What do you say?
2: That was a great power pitch. Mel, dialing nine refers to dialing nine for long distance. I learned not to quote tweet from Dan Nathan. He taught me about Twitter etiquette. I also noticed it traded three times normal volume today. I didn't think it was going down 25%. I still think the best days lie ahead. Great power pitch. I like it,
1: Dan. All right, Tim Seymour. Thank
5: you. I'd much rather buy a stock down 25 than up 25, at least in this case. When those numbers were very solid, DAU is disappointing. But he's dialed nine again, folks, nine again.
3: Karen. Yes. I like the pitch too, Dan, wow. if you can see this. I would be a buyer of the spread. I like the risk reward of that spread. Quite so, a turn, turn Good option to action there.
1: Yeah. Turn of events, Dan. Considering on the midday call, we were all joking about how people would be writing no on their <laughs> whiteboards even before hearing this pitch. So, you know, it's really broken your favor here. Um, the traders have spoken. It is your turn out there to vote. Are you buying Dan's fast pitch? Head to Twitter and vote in our live poll at CNBC Fast Money. We'll reveal the answer later in the show. Up next, wind shares hitting the jackpot. Why one major Wall Street firm sees a big political tailwind if Biden takes the White House. The details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Win jumping today after Morgan Stanley upgraded the stock to overweight, raised its price target to ninety five dollars a share. Among the catalysts for the stock, a potential Biden victory. Analysts there saying an improved relationship between the U.S. and China under a Democratic presidency could benefit Win's business in Macau and specifically that issue of concessions. Tim, what do you say about this upgrade?
5: It's not enough of a reason to buy the stock. Um, I, I think the issues that they're facing both here at home and in in Asia. I mean, look, Macau, if you look at the last uh, GDR numbers, g- gross gaming revenues, uh, you can see that VIP and premium masks are, are nowhere and, and uh, expectations for Golden Week are not supposed to be high. I, I, you know, I wouldn't say you run terribly far away from the stock. I think 72 to 75 dollars has proven to be a pretty good line in the sand. But I would not be buying it on a change in the government. That's not the reason to own the stock. Yeah. Guy, quick.
2: Las Vegas Sands, to me, is the one that potentially is spring loaded as they seemingly are getting away from Vegas and going that route Tim makes a good point. But if you see any incremental um, improvement there, I think LVS is the one that might be spring loaded. Yes, I use the term spring loaded.
1: Coming up, the fear index is on the move. How should you prepare for an election outcome? We'll dive into the options pits for that trade. Much more Fast Money right after this. Fast Money, we are on the eve of Election Day, and there has been plenty of commentary centered around how much market volatility we could see after tomorrow's vote. One trader in the options market is actually betting the worst might be over. Mike Coast got the action. Hey, Mike. Hi there.
2: Yeah, so in the VIX today, we saw puts out trade calls by almost two to one on above average volume. And the most active options we saw today were the December 20 puts. Those are the puts on the December VIX future. At one point, 43,000 of those crossed the tape for about 23 cents. Ultimately, over 48,000 of them traded. Buyers of those puts are obviously betting that the December VIX future could decline. Now, for weeks, we've been talking about the fact that we've seen higher than average implied volatility beyond the election date. But this could be the first sign net of the election and net, of course, of uh, an uptick in COVID cases that we're actually seeing some optimism. Some bet that perhaps the worst of the volatility may be soon behind us. Hmm.
1: All right, Mike, thanks for that. Mike Coe, for more Options Action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. And by the way, keep it right here tomorrow for full team coverage of the election. CNBC will be live throughout the night. It all kicks off at 7 p.m. Eastern time. We go right up through Squawk Box. We'll be there for every move of the night. Up next, there's still time to vote in our Twitter poll that is Are You Buying Dan's Fast Pitch? Head over to at CNBC Fast Money. We'll reveal the results We come right back. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Fast Money. It is time to find out if viewers at home are buying Dan's fast pitch on Twitter. It was tight, a tight race, but they're not retweeting your pitch. That means you lost. Fifty three percent voted no. (laughs) The rest voted yes. So sorry, Dan. Um, Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour.
5: In a risky environment, Google has, uh, to me, the least risky business model and the best valuation of mega cap tech stocks. So Google is my election play.
1: Dan. Yeah, I'm going to
4: stick with Twitter here. They gave us enough to look forward to with the stock down at support here, down 25 percent in three days. So I like it here with the fine risk.
3: Chairwoman. So if you don't know what to make of these U.S. markets, look at other markets. Yum China reported earnings a couple of days ago. Very good. Stock was up a couple of bucks. It's back down like Yum China.
1: Guy Dami, are you cautiously optimistic? <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I've
2: in my, yeah it's, it's, I wake up cautiously. I go to bed cautiously optimistic <laughs> that I'll wake up in the morning. You take such joy in, in, in the demise of Dan, myself, and Tim when I we don't. lose these I power don't. pitches. No, you do. <laughs> Let's make a stand. Roll the bones, Mel. Back to you.
1: Thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.
7: This podcast is supported by
1: FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.